0: Our word for today.
1: Good morning. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him together, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas called the spirit, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and saw an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. Then, he, then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we might eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a huge upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And When the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this? A dispute also arose among them, as which of them You are those who stay with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might shift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Father God, we thank you for your provision. Thank you for knowing our most desperate need and satisfying that need in Jesus. Mm-hmm. We thank you, Father, for this window into his life and his sacrifice on our behalf. And Father God, we, we ask that somehow by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to appreciate the importance in the weight of that sacrifice and that it will turn to place. We ask this in Jesus' name.
0: amen thank you jackie so we eat to remember and to have hope for tomorrow and uh, we're talking about the lord's supper this is what jesus institutes here in our text today and we don't want to approach the table lightly as something we just always do but understand truly why it is that we partake in this meal In the last few weeks for us as a family, we've had the opportunity of being around family, both Stacy's folks who are here and my folks a few weeks ago in Arizona. And as family is gathered, as we're having that fun, there are stories that have been told. Like I confronted my aunt for a scary story she told me as maybe an eight-year-old that has haunted me ever since. Because people can lick hands too. It's so creepy. Let me tell you the whole story some other time. But so some of the stories that we tell around these tables are like good confessional like moments, right? Some of them are a little more harrowing and um, they are all forming. Those family stories that you have. You can probably think of it as we approach Thanksgiving. You're preparing to rehash some of those family lore that you've grown up with and been around. And these are the things that actually establish the identity of the family. And for most of us, these are stories that happen around the table. And those stories, when they come up year after year, are well known. But to others who are younger, or as they grow, or maybe they're new to the family, and you, they've got to hear all the stories for the first time, they're all new and enlightening. Like, they make so much sense how this family fits together. And all of that is giving children uh, how they can answer their therapists in the future when they ask about their family of origin, right? Just... Tell the truth by the stories that you've told. And one writer says, One of the things that binds us together is remembering the past. Remembering the past can strengthen our love for one another in the present. It may strengthen our love for one another as families. We have photos and videos to remind us of days gone by. Some past events become part of the family tradition and are told over and over again because they're particularly significant or humorous. So here we have a story that is particularly significant to those in the family of Christ. And most of these family stories that we tell are told during what? During meals. As we like to eat, it's human tradition. It anchors us, it comforts us, and it stirs us on in these settings. And we need more of it. Like Just a practical imploring to parents and families like, put the phones in a basket, make the kids sit at the dining room table and have conversation a few times a week. And Israel had just such a meal that was specifically set up to capture capture its story and to retell it every year. And it was the story of the Exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery and into freedom. And this is the Passover meal that they're celebrating at this moment. It's a story retold in our text And it's given a new chapter that changes everything. Because there's enlightenment, there's some opening of this story at this meal that changes how we view it and how we partake in it. And this, you have to understand, is the central meal of Christianity. It's maybe, arguably, if you ask my Anglican friends, they will say, yes, it most definitely is the most important thing we do when we gather as believers share of this supper and it's the truth that the Lord's Supper anchors us to the past and gives us hope for what lies ahead it's a reminder but also a promise for us Tom Schreiner says we retell Christ's death every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper for remembering what Christ has done for us strengthens us for our present and for the future so we eat to remember and to have hope for tomorrow We have to think of what's going on in this text as Luke is retelling the story of Jesus's life and ministry. And you have the merging of the feast of the unleavened bread and the Passover meal. And this is what's going on. They've had those that are plotting to kill Jesus, right? They would like to end his teaching. He's stirring up the uh, regular folk and the religious elite would like him gone. So the chief priests and the officers, essentially the temple law enforcement, conspire With Judas, one of the twelve, to betray Jesus. And he goes on then seeking an opportunity to do that in absence of a crowd. And so that betrayal is going to come. And Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to face the cross. We know how the story continues. But this day, at this moment, is the Passover. It's the day of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And Peter and John are sent by Jesus to prepare the meal and the place. And it's fascinating that no one knows the logistics here except Jesus. Because his time is yet to come. Kent Hughes says of the Passover, he says, That evening of the Passover would be observed in a home or a room reserved for the occasion. The lamb was roasted on a pomegranate spit inside the company dressed in festive white and reclined at tables with their leader at their head. And in Jesus's time, the celebration had added elements beyond the Old Testament's prescriptions. There was a cedar uh, set order of service and the celebrants reclined while they ate because they were no longer slaves. And it was the host's duty to interpret each of the foods on the table as it related to their deliverance from Egypt. The bitter herbs recalled their bitter slavery. The stewed fruit, by its color and consistency, recalled the misery of making bricks for Pharaoh. The roasted lamb brought to their remembrance, the lamb's blood applied to the doorpost, and their eating of the lamb within their house, and the death's angels passing over them as it destroyed the firstborn. Of Egypt. It's a meal that is telling a story. And as the host of this meal, Jesus gives these elements new imagery for his followers. And it's exactly what Israel has been longing for. The cup can be taken and drank of and celebrated. So we just start with the truth that we eat to remember. Christian discipleship is primarily reminder. As long as I've been pastor to many of you, I doubt I have taught you a lot of new things. It has been mostly things you have heard before that you needed to be reminded of. And Jesus says in the Great Commission to go and teach new disciples all that I have taught you. And there will always be those that are new to the table. But most of us around the table know the stories, but we need to regularly remember them. To be well versed in them so that we can tell them to others. Peter, who is at this meal in his letter to the dispersed church... Um, it's 2nd Peter 1 says Simon Peter, a servant, and apostle of Christ Jesus to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. And then later in the chapter, he goes, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that, you, so that after my departure, you may be able any time to recall these things. This is like a pastoral call. This is what ministry is to look like, that we would stir one another up by way of reminder. So this is what we always endeavor to do as a church, to remind each other of the good news of Jesus. And it happens for us in this meal. And here Jesus is establishing the place of our story, what we're actually meant to remember, Luke writes, So when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The end of the meal, then he says, For I tell you, that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And this is Jesus reaching back to the promise of Isaiah 53. And we hear from the prophet what is fulfilled in Jesus, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened his mouth not. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people... And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So fulfillment finds its home, the prophetic promise of this suffering servant that was going to come and grant righteousness to transgressor. It all finds its home here in Jesus. This is what is happening or what's about to go down. And he reaches backward to give the basis for what they are experiencing in real time in Jerusalem. Well, for the apostles, this is new information. For us, it's just the regular reminder of the finished work of Jesus for us. And it's significant in this meal. Because Jesus won't eat it again until the kingdom comes in full. So it's such an important memorial that he will wait to have of this lamb and of this cup again till he can have it in celebration with us. And here's what the meal reminds us of. And He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember his body given for us. There's so many questions, Christianity, we've done weird things with, well, is this really his body as we consume it? And so we're not going to get into those questions. There's different answers throughout history, depending on denomination and background. But this is symbolic of his body, and we consume it in his very real presence by his spirit as he's here with us. But his body given for us answers our need because humanity is actually created and made to dwell with God. But from the garden long ago, sin has marred our ability to stand before our creator, a holy and righteous God, a set-apart God. So humanity has always then striven to or strived to gain the perfection that is required to stand before God. And even when slavery and rescue from slavery occurs, the law then was incapable of producing what it demanded could never become perfect. So a substitute is needed. Someone that could actually take our place. Did anybody read The Hunger Games? Um, some of you watched the movies, right? It's easier to watch a movie than read the book sometimes. But it's exactly like when Katniss offers herself as tribute to save her little sister's life, right? And this is Jesus for us on a much grander scale. And that's why all of our stories in some way tell this epic story of the redemption that Christ is working. And so Jesus serves as a substitute that takes our place. And it's vital for us because he does it both in obedience and judgment, both in a perfect life and an innocent death. Because we need a life that is perfectly following the way of God and we have it in Jesus. He also stands in our place on the cross, fully meeting the wrath that our sin deserves. I love ESV study Bible. This is how easy it is to be a pastor. You can just buy a study Bible. And they say, as represented and predicted in this celebration of the Lord's Supper, Jesus' body will be the once and for all fulfillment of the ceremony surrounding the Passover lamb, as he will become the sacrificial atonement on the basis of which God will pass over the sins of the people. So this meal becomes ours as a reminder that sin is dealt with, that there is no more debt to be paid because it's all paid in Christ. By his body given for us. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, Jesus says this this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So not only does he give a body, but he gives his blood. And Israel at this point has a long history with blood and it's not just like an archaic way of worship as if there's live sacrifice and that's just how all the old time religions did it. But it's a steady reminder for them that there has to be a life taking the place of those that are apart from God. And it's that significant, the separation. And in the garden, blood flows to cover the shame of humanity from those first moments. And in the temple, blood flows to cover the sin of the people. And it happens year in and year out in this ceremony. But we get to the point of this meal and Jesus tells us that his blood is now sufficient. and goats to take away sin. will he does away with the first in order to establish the second and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all this is a new covenant by his blood this is a covenant of grace by his sacrifice of life in him it's a new covenant that also was promised and finds its fulfillment in jesus Shall be my people. This is the picture of being brought home, of given forgiveness, his way written on our hearts, made to be his people forever in this new covenant. covenant. And this is what the meal reminds us of. This is the significance that we are declaring when we put the bread to our tongue and drink of the cup, and it roots us in the finished work of Jesus. And although the disciples did not understand Jesus' words and actions in that moment, the symbolism here expresses union with him. Since Jesus identifies the bread with his body and the fruit of the vine with his blood, and he tells his disciples to eat and to drink. They are to ingest or drink him metaphorically so that, that he can become part of them. The symbolism here communicates union between the partakers and the body and blood of Christ. So, this is the gaining of his righteousness that is made ours, the reminder that his future is ours, that we exist now in union with Christ. And it's exactly what the rest of the New Testament will belabor to tell us. One writer, the rankin Wilborn, wrote a book called Union with Christ. He says, When I base my Christian life on my Christian experience, I become locked in the labyrinth of my own performance. I am only as sure of God as my current emotions and obedience allow. My eyes are fixed on myself. The gospel, the good news, is the way the Holy Spirit turns our eyes away from ourselves and unto Christ. And the gospel brings you into union with Christ. Christ enters your heart and gives you faith. And by that faith, you receive Christ in all of his fullness. And faith fixes your eyes on Christ and rests in him. And when we partake of this meal, it's a reminder that we are in him and he is in us. Sinclair Ferguson, old Scottish uh, theologian and pastor, I wish I could say it in his Scottish brogue, but he says, if I am united to Christ, then all that is his is mine. I'm going to keep reading the quote, but just think of the significance of that. All that is Jesus's, the creator and sustainer of the universe, all that is his is yours. So long as my heart, will, and mind are one with Christ in his word, I can approach God with the humble confidence that my prayers will be heard and answered. This is huge for us. This is what drives our life, the reminder that we are united with Christ because of his body given for us, his blood of this new covenant. And this is for those who believe. That you are justified, you are kept, you are given life to live. And this is all that this meal reminds us of. You're like, all that from this styrofoam stuff we take every week? Jonathan, I got finance approval to get better communion supply. <laughs> Don't worry. Amen. Yeah, amen. It's the best, first amen all day from Phil. But this is the, there, there is a kind of remembering that is meant to happen among us that summons afresh the truth that our whole lives depend upon the death and resurrection of Christ. And the Lord's Supper is meant to do that. So we eat to remember. And we drink because we're thirsty in the Lord. But we, we also not only eat to remember, we, we eat to have hope for tomorrow. And Christianity, while rooted in ancient promise and fulfillment in Christ, actually looks forward then to an eternity with him where all things are reconciled to Christ. Everything is made right and all sad things are untrue. And We have glimpses of this in this meal. Right. He says, for I tell you, I'll not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Till everything's set right, I'm not going to have this meal again. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is not having another cup of wine until that declaration is given, the trumpet blares, the walls come down, and we are with our king forever. And I'm so thankful that he didn't say we have to wait till that to enjoy wine, but the wine is going to be so much better then. With him. And even in establishing this supper, Jesus is looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I love Luke's gospel because already a few times in our study, he has foreshadowed this meal that is yet to come. We see it in John's revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage supper of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the the saint and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god this is the meal invitation we're waiting for and the truth is that if you're in christ you are invited Like, this is where the party goes down. I cannot wait for this moment. No more worries, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more sin. Just glory with Jesus. In Christ, this is where you are headed. No matter what life throws our way, we have hope in what's coming. With the Spirit's help, with his comforting and guiding us, we keep our eyes on the horizon as we eat this meal. And here's the truth, friends. Christians are not fearful, freaked out people. They're all kind of people that are going to make tons of money in politics and selling books and doing all kinds of things that would prefer to you that you just be nervous all the time. That you be Fearful. Got to pray with my new friend, Bill. Yesterday, got him some coffee and a donut on the trail by our house. I asked him how I could pray. He's like, pray for 5G and the aliens. So we pray for clarity of mind and hope in the future. But there are people that like, make money saying, freak out. about you know Maybe 5G is giving you extra kind of wiggle. I don't know. But you don't have to worry about it because you're in Christ. Let the aliens come. They don't know my Jesus. But they will when I tell them. I, I don't believe in aliens. But if they did come, I'm preaching the gospel to them. That's all I got, you know? Oh, what was I saying? You're not, so don't be freaked out. We're coming into an election year. I get all these mailers every day. We should keep it for kindling for our fire pit. But man, people want you to, and it's always, you know, it's the black and white of the commercial. Dun, 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 you know, blurred out faces. It's scary. Shut up. We are a people of promise by the blood of Christ and hope always wins. That's right. And the truth is, you don't you don't wait alone. That's why you're not freaked out. You got a family. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. It's a shared meal. It's a shared meal of reminder and hope in community with the family of faith. And Paul would correct the Corinthians down the line for messing up the meal. And they would eat individually or the wealthy would go ahead of the poor. And this meal, though, it evens the field and it's a place of unity and humility as those that belong to Jesus. And he says, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. The Lord's Supper is not just an individual meal. It is a church meal involving fellowship with other believers, a family meal by which we are bound together in the Lord and to one another. So I, I used to do, like, just logistically, it's like we would do intinction. You guys know what intinction is? It's where you take some bread and you dip it in the cup. Like, we don't do any of this anymore. Thank you, COVID. Right now, we're all hermetically sealed. It's great. But I used to think intinction was fine, but there's an individual aspect of that form of the meal that you can still dump, dunk your own bread, but don't take it yet. We all have to take it together. It's to be a shared meal, a new family, telling new stories of formation and our mission together. This is the place where we do that. It's a meal of kingdom citizens now, given sustenance for the pilgrimage through life. Jesus institutes his meal and he looks around and he says, You are those that have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the role of these apostles in this moment. This is the significance of it, and we too are invited given this kingdom. This is what Christians share, the salvation of Christ's death and resurrection, one for them. And it forms our very identity. And our identity looks forward. One writer says, whenever we celebrate the Lord's table, we should eat with an eye to the ultimate communion. This is why Paul added, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The eagerness of our Savior's heart for this meal ought to set our hearts to racing. This is the heart of God. We keep telling this story until he comes. So we eat to remember and to have hope for tomorrow. And we eat until we smell like Jesus. And I know that's my line, and so I just created a third point for it. Not really. I think it's there. I have increasing grace as we've studied this gospel for the apostles in this account specifically, because I occasionally do stupid things. Anybody else? I mean, some of you are far more perfect. You should just be Nazarene. Um, two people got that joke. Okay, good. <laughs> but we we mess up, right? There, there's thankfully this is a covenant of grace. But we will sometimes talk in our, even our church, and it wasn't always that we did this. But we'll talk about how often we take communion. And some churches do it. Quarterly, some do it monthly, but we do it weekly. And for some, it's just like logistics and cost play into the decision. But friends, I promise I do not want to follow Jesus only when the logistics and finances are in order. Right? So we're, we're going to eat this meal always when we gather until we don't respond wrongly. Because in our text, we have a concerning immediate response to the institution of this meal by the apostles. These are the ones that are going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel and look how they respond. Uh, first with betrayal, right? He says, but behold, like immediately from this a new covenant, boom, this is so exciting what you've been waiting for. But uh, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is at the table. For the son of man goes and it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. Judas is in the room. For the price of a slave in the day, he will give up Jesus, and it will be his downfall. Like His story does not end well. There is steady temptation for all of us to give up Jesus for other idols and some coin. Even if betrayal is a, a one-off, though, because this is just Judas, right? And It's important. This has to happen. It's the will of the Father to turn over the Son for our salvation. The rest of the guys at the table don't have it all together either, right? Because they go from which one of us could betray him to competing with one another. And Luke writes, a dispute also arose among them. They've just been given the Lord's Supper. And a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Who is the greatest? Who gets the seat of honor in this kingdom? And the apostles still, at this moment, have a wrong view of what redeeming Israel is was meant to look like. And rather than rejoicing with Jesus, they end up just jockeying for place and privilege at this table. Where they're supposed to be like him, they want to be little kings for themselves, like the kings of that day. But Jesus says, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, the the lowest in place. And let the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves. This is the moment that Jesus gets on his hands and feet and he washes their feet. The lowliest of chores. He's serving them. There's betrayal, there's competition, and then there's denial. And ending the competition, right? Jesus is like changing the subject now, and he lets them know that Satan is determined to have you. He says that Simon, Simon, the plural he uses for you, or the you is plural. So he's talking about all of the apostles in this moment. It applies to all of them. But he says that I have prayed for you. So he tells Peter, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. And I love I I like Peter because I think I'm the most like Peter there. There will be a day that when I'm ready to die, I'm going to be writing epistles and they're going to be good. And I'm I'm still a little bit like Peter here because he's convinced that he's willing to die for Jesus. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he will. We know the story. And this warning then immediately flows into the group, totally missing the point about packing a sword for the journey that is ahead. Right? Did you see this? And Jackie read it, and she read it in English. Where they're like, we have two swords, Jesus. He's like, yeah, it is enough. And that's kind of how you read it, right? But he's like, enough of this crap. Like, He's done. I mean, and literally in the next section, he's going to condemn Peter for taking a sword to a guard's ear. So he was not talking about, we need to get some swords and win this battle. They missed the point. They just keep on missing the point. And that's part of the denial that is happening, that they've missed the point of what the Redeemer has come to do and what it means to live in light of him. But Jesus, hey, we got our swords. Hey, we got elected. Enough of that. sir. We're meant for more than what we often see. And to see Christ in this meal is what we're meant for. What he does, how he loves and serves. And then we're to live from that. He's our model. Be extremely cautious of anybody that calls you to the opposite of what is Christlikeness. Because we want to smell like Jesus. Brian Chappell says a greater love for Christ and his priorities displaces love for ourselves as the magnitude of his selfless sacrifice for us touches and transforms our hearts. And the place of transformation is in in this meal. I I read this. and I just wonder how these guys look back years later. I'm going to ask them. We're going to be in glory together. They're going to be pouring wine into my glass. I got a big long spoon. I'm going to put some lamb soup into their mouth. That sounds weird, but that's how it's going to happen. I'll write a book about it. They'll be next to the vampires. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just wonder, like, did they regret how they responded to the supper? Did they lament not jumping up just to serve alongside Jesus? Did, why didn't they say, no, don't wash my feet, but let me help wash others? Or even what's coming next, like going and praying with him. Why weren't they excited about that? Do they regret not wanting to become like him, to smell like him? The truth is, when we take this meal, like, I don't want to look back and think of the ways that I've walked out of the room and fallen for these same things that they fall for. And I think that's why we need the reminder. It's often said of Martin Luther that he answered a parishioner's questions this way, and I don't think Martin Luther actually said it, but I think from what we know of Martin Luther, he probably could have but they came to him and said, Pastor, why is it that week after week you preach to us the gospel? We, we've read your books. We know you to be a brilliant man. Why do we never move on? When do we get past this on to something else? And he says in response, beloved, because week after week you forget it. You will never be without your need for the gospel. So I will never cease to preach it to you. That's our posture. And maybe it's not even you. Maybe you're good at remembering, but I forget it week in and week out and need to be reminded of it. So we keep eating to be reminded to have hope and to smell like Jesus. So friends, eat up. Eat this meal often. You are Christ. His redeeming work is for you and is now flowing through you that others would see and be invited to this table. So we eat to remember and to have hope for tomorrow. And this is the best family story to tell. It establishes our identity, our character, and it declares our future. And we get to tell it around a table. Let's eat. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for instituting this supper As a place of reminder for us and a a place of significant hope in uh, a future with you. That because of your finished work, we have life and we have hope. We have purpose and we have a kingdom. Lord, we repent of the ways that we've approached uh, the table of communion as just something of tradition or habit. And we come back again afresh to you and say we want to experience your grace anew in this meal as a reminder and a place of hope, a place where you, by your Spirit, are transforming us into your likeness. Do it so others will see and others will join the family and tell the stories of you. In Jesus' name, amen.